the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. In Hebrews 4, the writer reminds us of the words of David. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. By verse 9, he talks about rest for the people of God, a Sabbath rest, and exhorts us to labor or strive to enter into that rest. As all of us know, modern living in the West, particularly here in the San Francisco Bay Area region, makes Sabbath rest, resting in Him, more and more elusive and challenging. And connecting with God at a deeper level, a communion level, more important and perhaps harder to achieve for many, with the distractions and noise of life that make things like prayer, meditation on His Word, and a sense of God's quiet presence something we have to strive for. Well, there's a wonderful property here in the San Francisco Bay region of Northern California that I think might very well provide the kind of atmosphere that can help make that process of laboring to enter into his rest so much easier. Joining me now on the program is Pamela Prime. Pamela is a best-selling author, and uh, she is also one of the owners of Two Bears Dancing. And uh, welcome to the program, Pamela. Thank you, Craig. It's lovely to be with you today. We'll talk in a moment about the the wonderful property that you have available down uh, along the uh, Sonora region of California, close to Yosemite. But before we get to details on that, let's speak for a moment about this whole issue. Boy, you know, I I think of the notion of even just quiet time, trying to disconnect, turn the cell phone off, walk away from the computer, be able to meditate on God's Word, just get some lone time with God. For a lot of people, that sounds very inviting, but almost impossible to do. Well, I would I would agree with you. Uh, it's it's not only difficult in terms of how busy we are, but it's difficult in terms of <clears throat> what it means for us to quiet down. And sometimes I think we put too much pressure on ourselves. And if if we would just simply walk out the front door and go for a five minute walk and just be aware of the beauty that surrounds us that God has blessed us with and give thanks for that five minutes. I think we've entered into a a really remarkable experience of prayer. And we don't give ourselves credit for it. And and the other thing, too, I think oftentimes we we fail to acknowledge the fact that, like any relationship, whether we're talking about a vertical relationship with God or a horizontal relationship with our spouse, our children, family members, friends, whatever, uh, it takes communication. It takes time to make that happen. And, and, And can you imagine what kind of a relationship would the average husband and wife have if you were trying to engage in communication in the middle of, I don't know, a Levi's Stadium surrounded by 50,000 people making noise and cheering and yelling and everything else, after a while you would say, there's so much noise going on here, I can't concentrate on what you and I are trying to communicate because of all of the distractions taking place. And I guess to a great degree, that kind of describes what's happening on happening in our relationship with God. People say, well, I don't, I don't really feel that close. Well, is it any wonder with so much noise around us that kind of blocks or, or impedes the ability to enter into that kind of communication? Well, I think that's really true. I also think that sometimes we're fearful of entering into a deep relationship with God, as we are fearful of entering into deep relationship with our loved ones. 
uh, it, it's a strange phenomenon, really, but we have often such a fear of uh, rejection or of not being worthy or of hearing something that we really are afraid of hearing. Yeah, if God gets to know us as we really are, uh, he might not like us very well. And, of course, we fail to recognize the fact he already knows us. <laughs> uh, well, that's right. And God, and God does know, know us as we really are and is absolutely nuts about us and is always, you know, <laughs> trailing after us, uh, inviting us to come closer and to trust and to risk and to be present and to allow God to fill us with love. Our life experience could be so much richer uh, if we would just take the advice of the writer in Hebrews and, and recognize that sometimes it takes extra effort. We have to, as you say, step outside the front door for a moment and uh, get away from the din and the noise, whether it's, you know, a five-minute break in the backyard to look at the bee running around collecting a, a little bit of pollen here and there or admiring God's handiwork in the rose, whatever it might be, up to and including sometimes the notion where we really need a full complete disconnect, that opportunity to sort of recharge our spiritual batteries and, and disconnect from the constant demand on our attention and time from everything that is electronic and the working world and so forth, and sometimes getting away to a spot that better fosters the ability to engage in that level of, of prayerful meditation and communion with God is really the answer. And toward that end, you have an absolutely spectacular five-acre piece of property. I mentioned earlier it's down toward um, Yosemite. I think you're about an hour outside of Yosemite. You call it Two Bears Dancing. Tell us a bit about this wonderful retreat. Well, you know, when you talk about going to some place that's quiet, that's Two Bears Dancing. It's it's five acres, which I think if you're living in the middle of the city is a lot. But uh, this property is somehow very... Um, in a way, secret from what's around it. It's very protected and private, and it's very peaceful. So <clears throat> people will walk the property. There's a lovely path that goes around the property. And just that walk, again, you know, being out in nature and, and admiring the magnificence of God. There's a beautiful uh, little lake there, and um, water lilies and beautiful flowers around it and frogs and birds and all the things that you'd find in nature. So it's very difficult to uh, to stay busy in your head when you're so busy looking at all the beauty. Suddenly you're, you're shifted into a whole new level of consciousness and people come away saying things like, oh, I feel so much more peaceful or this place is magical and we find it that way as well. It's uh, when we're not there, we're we miss it very much. We love to go up and um, and be there and enjoy the beauty that's there. It's remarkable, uh, David Kirkpatrick, how man will build uh, cathedrals as a place of sanctuary for us to be able to commune with God, but none of them quite achieve the same level of splendor as the cathedral that God has already provided for us. In this case here, the retreat center there at uh, Two Bears Dancing uh, with the redwoods and the trees and the lake and everything else. It, it, it's really hard to compete with cement and glass, isn't it? <laughs> It certainly is. We put a lot of time and effort into building up the buildings, but the property comes with the most incredible collection of really tall trees and uh, uh, natural uh, plants as well as the more decorative ones we've planted. So it, it really... The, the value of the property is in the property uh, even more than uh, all of the effort that we've put into the house, the outbuildings, the guest quarters, the 
chapel, all the things that are on the property. I would imagine many people eavesdropping on our conversation right now who immediately connect with this notion of the struggle that it is to get away and really enter into a labor to enter into God's rest and then beginning to think about, yeah, you know, sometimes just breaking away from the din and noise of city life and getting away to a retreat place like Two Bears Dancing would be wonderful. And gee, we wish that our church or our ministry organization had such a property. And toward that end, in fact, Two Bears Dancing is available currently on the market. Spend a moment, if you would, David, and kind of walk us through many of the amenities that are there. There is a a, a principal main house there and then a number of other outbuildings. Kind of walk us through all the Two Bears Dancing has to offer. Well, the principal house has about 4,000 square feet. It has two kitchens, uh, one for guests, one for uh, us. Uh, It has uh, some special features like uh, locally done rock work that's really quite spectacular. It has a sauna. Um, It has a home theater and library. Uh, It has uh, built-in Ethernet networking. Uh, But then we have a treehouse. Uh, uh, guest quarters that are 23 feet above the stream, uh, high up in the nestled high up in the trees. That uh, many people who come find that the most incredible meditation uh, location, as well as a place for it, it has a bed and a, a toilet and sink and that sort of thing. Uh, so one of the guest quarters is uh, a treehouse up in the air. Another guest quarters floats on the lake. It's a, a lake house that again has a a spacious bedroom with uh, a fireplace for warmth it has uh, uh, a a toilet and a sink Uh, has uh, the basic amenities Uh, the the formal shower for guests is back in the main house in the guest quarters there but uh, uh, those two outbuildings are really quite unique then there's what we call um, our mother's chapel it's it's a place that we've used for healing circles and for workshops uh, with a spectacular view of the lake but it's on the ground uh, at the edge of the lake in addition there are a couple of storage outbuildings then there's what we call the writer's cottage down at the end of the lake a place where uh, there, there is sleeping quarters but it's mostly set up to give a place for isolation contemplation perhaps meditation uh, and perhaps used for writing we originally moved up to the mountains because my wife wanted to write and she wrote a book and is working on another and it's it's a location that allows you to pull out of everyday life and of course, in addition to those amenities, I understand you've also got a fire pit. Uh, there are meditation benches around the property, some wonderful sculptures, as you referred to, and sites for people to put up tents. So it really, it, while it's not a facility that will accommodate a thousand people, you probably don't want that. That probably isn't very conducive to the kind of atmosphere that we're talking about creating when you're looking for a spiritual getaway or a spiritual retreat. But in terms of what this five-acre property has to offer, again, on the, on the Sonora Pass, and I understand, Pamela, that... Uh, you're just about an hour outside of Yosemite, so uh, as a retreat facility, boy, for somebody really wanting to have kind of the complete deal where you could be away at the retreat and maybe break away for a day and head down to go experience Yosemite and come back again, it really is ideally situated in terms of its location, isn't it? Well, 
it is. Um, it's also at the foot of the Sonora Pass, which a lot of people aren't familiar with, but it has some of the most beautiful hiking trails. And even just to ride over the pass is a wonderful experience. And we're a mile from the grocery store, which actually is a wonderful little grocery store. So even though it's isolated in some ways, it's very um, available in, in many other ways to lots of, lots of different things to do and see and and uh, it's convenient. And, of course, this property is available right now, so maybe your ministry organization or church has been contemplating taking your ministry to the next level by incorporating a retreat facility. This is really it. If you want to find out more, you can simply log on to twobearsdancing.info to get more information, get a chance to see the property, view the list of all the amenities, and then, of course, if you'd like, make an appointment to go down and actually view the property in person. Again, information available on the web at Two Bears Dancing. That's two spelt out, T-W-O, twobearsdancing.info. That's twobearsdancing.info. And I'd like to thank author Pamela Prime and David Kirkpatrick for that update on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I got a telephone call on a Saturday evening while enjoying dinner with some friends. It's about uh, probably six o'clock. And it was my bank calling my cell phone to say, now, Mr. Roberts, we just wanted to touch bases with you. We noticed a couple of out-of-the-ordinary charges on your credit card, and one was for approximately $1,000 at uh, Fry's in San Jose, and the other charge was almost $2,000, $1,700 and change, as I recall, at a Walmart store in Modesto. And what caught their attention was the fact that the two charges fell approximately 15 minutes apart. Now, I don't care if you're traveling on a Learjet. San Jose to Modesto in 15 minutes just simply isn't possible. Well, their suspicions were correct, and my worst fears had been realized. My credit card information had been compromised, and at least two people were running around the state of California with my credit card number just picking up all kinds of goodies at electronic stores. Well, the good news is we shut down the card immediately. We were able to fend off any further um, illicit charges against the card. And uh, uh, while a bit uh, chagrined, uh, it got no worse than that. For literally tens of thousands of thousands of Americans, though, the story of identity theft doesn't end there. In fact, it begins there and gets much worse, as it did for my next guest tonight, who's taken the time to help share his horrific story with the rest of us and hoping that you can learn from some of the do's and don'ts and understand what you need to do once you've either discovered that your identity has been compromised or, better yet, steps to take to help negate or reduce the possibility of that happening. Scott Merritt has written a new book called Simply Identity Theft, Recovery is Possible. Scott, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Your story is a bit um, unusual in the sense that you first learned of this, well, much like I did. Your, your bank had contacted you by a letter indicating that probably not unlike the 70 million people who got compromised over at Target, that there had been some kind of a breach of data with relationship to um, accounts there at the bank where you did business. Though when you went and looked into all of this initially, you discovered that you weren't one of them. Nothing amiss had occurred, but um, that was kind of a real false sense of security for a short moment, wasn't it? Absolutely. Tell us more what happened. Well, what happened, uh, I, a couple months down the road, 
I, I checked my statement, and again, I didn't see anything, so I didn't wasn't too alarmed. But then, about three months down the road, um, I started having all kinds of overdrawn accounts, checks bouncing. Uh, credit cards being opened in my name and I got hit really hard because not only did I have personal accounts at that institution but corporate accounts so this so went beyond really, really quickly th- this went beyond simply somebody um, copied or, or got their hands on your credit card information and started charging against you in fact is is it fair to describe this as saying that suddenly there were two Scott merits running about with the with the same or, or held in common the same um, credit identity and unfortunately the bad version of Scott Merritt was causing all kinds of problems for the good version. That, that 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 would be a mild way of putting it, but it's more like eight or ten Scott Merritt's running. Really? What, what happens in a case like that? Is this information, once it has been compromised because somebody's managed to, uh, to you know, hack their way into a banking computer or through the computers at uh, Target or whatever and gather enough personal information to be able to go out there and, and start opening up accounts in your name, do they sell this information off? Is that how it's getting to be to, to multiple persons, multiple that individuals? Is exa- that is exactly what happens. A lot of times, it, like with the Target situation, what probably will happen with a lot of those people is is the actual fraudsters will sell those those names and phone numbers and account numbers off to other people and they'll take their cash and run and then they'll take the the people who buy that information will take it and multiply the problem and that problem can get multiplied not only across the state but across continents too can't it that is exact that is exactly at one point in my process i actually had someone from the uk call me oh so, and you're, that, that was a nice, that one was obviously very easy to identify, given it was on another continent. Now, some some people listening to this would say, "Well, Scott, you, you were notified initially by your bank that there was a breach uh, of data. You watched it over a couple of months, no suspicious activity. Then all of a sudden, all kinds of suspicious activity. Why couldn't you simply go back to the bank and say, "Hey, look, uh, th- you know the letter that you sent me is demonstrating that yeah, now I in fact am a victim of all of this. So let's shut everything down and stop these criminals in their tracks." Well, and that would be a logical thing if we were dealing with a credit card. When you deal with a Visa debit card tied to your checking account, you do not have the same protections that you would have if if we were dealing with a national credit card. Once it's tied to your checking account, uh, some of the safeguards are not there, and that therein lies the problem. Now, the bank, the first couple times, they might eat the charges and 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 say thank you for you know, banking with us, but if it happens repeatedly like it did with me, or in an excessive amount, eventually they're going to stick you with the bill, which is what happened to me. Well, in your case, it was not only also sticking you with the bill because of repeated activity, but as you suggested, this was activity uh, across multiple layers. I mean, did these people go around and start, you know, buying cars in your name, opening up checking accounts in your name, and, and credit cards and so forth everywhere? Well, what they did is they uh, they started using both personal and corporate cards credit cards and opening credit cards and what have you they they cleaned out four of my checking accounts uh they uh i ended up with overdrawn fees because i had actually written you know checks out for my own use so <laughs> i then had to go make them right when the corporate accounts were hit i actually had to go in and make my partners whole uh so it got ugly very quickly i mean it, it, it was whatever number you have in your mind triple it and then, then, then you have a fathom because when you, I'm a financial guy by trade because I'm in the securities business 
And so when you manage millions, you become a target. So when we think that, well, if anything like that untoward happens, I'm simply going to call the bank. The bank will shut down my credit card. They will issue me a new one or they will shut down my ATM card, issue me a new one, open up a new account number. Everything will be hunky-dory. That wasn't at all your experience, was it? Absolutely, it was not. In fact, what I would encourage everyone to do, if it happens... First of all, number one is do not use the Visa debit card tied to your checking account. I know they're convenient, but every time you use that, you're opening up your checking account to fraudsters. And that what that does is it, once that's happened once or twice, it will happen over and over and over because people will sell that information. Well, what if they say, well, wait, wait a minute now, Scott, though I have a PIN number attached to that, and it's a, it's a pretty crafty number. No one knows my birth date, so how could, they ever, how could they ever compromise my PIN? Well, because what they actually have is they have uh, predictive dialers, and they can actually figure out what your PIN is. No matter how creative you think you are, I guarantee you they can, they can figure that out. That's one of the reasons why most of the European market has went to a chip system to prevent that very thing. And, of course, the irony is when you go to a store and you make a point-of-sale purchase with your, your, your debit card, you have to enter your PIN number to authorize that charge, and it's going out over that retailer's wires, you know, although it might ultimately be connected back to your bank, it's still going through some third party that potentially could capture that data, couldn't it? That, that is exactly what's happening, and that's, that, is what, that is what's happening, that, that transition between the retailer and the credit card processor, uh, that, that is what's happened to companies like Target and, and Neiman Marcus and these other guys. That's exactly, that is exactly what happened. In my case, someone actually broke into a brick-and-mortar building and got my information. However, obviously, in the case of Neiman Marcus and those guys, someone actually stole that information out of the air. And this is ex- extreme... Um risk for anybody that has any decent level of credit, isn't it? Because if you've got a little bit of money in the bank or you've been dutiful in paying your bills on time and you've got a credit score you know, in, in the upper sevens, you're the ideal target, aren't you? They're, you are the person that these thieves want to be able to not only get their hands on any of your liquid assets that they can drain from your accounts, but then steal your identity and turn around and start opening up credit cards and charging those to the max as well. So it really comes down to the, the better you, the better discipline you are at your finances, the higher risk you have. Is that true? Uh, To some degree. However, how you can manage that situation, it comes down to one word, and the word is identity. And I know this is going to sound peculiar, but you want to make sure that your name and your address and your phone number that you use on all financial matters matches identically the way it appears on your Social Security card, on your driver's license, on your bank statement, on your credit card statement. And I, and, and I mean remedial. I mean, if, for example, on your driver's license you have a middle initial, but on your, on your Social Security card you don't, you need to change one of them so that they match. Same thing with your bank account. If it, your name appears one way and on another credit card statement it appears another way, that's, that's an opportunity for fraud. Same thing with address. Let's say your address has the word road in it. And in one, one, in one instance, you spell the word road out, another one you put RD, period. Again, that's the breeding grounds for fraud. How do they use that? How are they able to manipulate those subtle differences? Because, I, you know, as you were talking, I, I uh, opened my wallet here, and I notice I have a few credit cards. That's just my first and last name, and I've got some credit cards uh, that has my middle and issue, and other credit cards that, uh, that uh, spells both my middle, uh, spells my middle name out entirely. 
Right, and so what that does is that creates aliases on your credit report. So when someone submits an application in any variation or something even similar to any one of those three variations you just named, that's an opportunity for fraud. Wow. And how you can clean that up is getting it so everything matches. You start with your state IDs, your, your driver's license, your social security card, um, professional licenses, etc. Then you take those, photocopy them, and submit them to your creditors so, so they change your account so they appear the same. We're going to pause for a minute. We've got more great insights from Scott Merritt. Scott was a victim of identity theft back in 2005-2006 uh, and um, literally ruinous to both his personal private credit as well as his business credit. Um, and it's taken him years to unravel this mess. In fact, even as we sit out here, uh, what has it been now, uh, eight years or almost, uh, he's still dealing with the aftermath of all of this. Eight years later, if you ever shopped at a Target store around Christmas time, you could potentially yet be a victim of all of this. Seventy million credit cards were compromised, and as Scott suggests, it's pretty easy for them to gather enough information on you to be able to recreate your identity. The thought of two Craig Roberts running around out there is just too much for the world to handle. So how do you go about reducing some of that risk? We'll talk about that and then more steps on what to do once you've unwittingly become a victim of identity theft. Back to more of our conversation with Scott Merritt as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. One of the biggest mistakes that people make when they try to address a breach of data um, or outright identity theft is to assume that your local banking institution is your friend. They're here to help. They will cut the thief off at the pass and make it all well again. But in fact, um, there's not much motivation, shockingly, for banks to address this problem. I, that certainly seemed to be your experience. It, it looks like they did little, if anything, but to exacerbate this horrific situation unfolding before you. Why was that? Well, and it, it's because uh, eventually they they didn't want to they didn't want to be on the hook for the expenses, and it comes it comes down to money. Banks make money by loaning money, not by dealing with with fraud and things of that nature. And that's why it is critical when you are aware of that situation, you go into the bank and file an affidavit. They are not going to want to file it, but make them file it anyway. And, and and make sure you get a copy of it, and then go file a police report. It's going to be important, um, Scott, to also file that police report? Uh, yes, and, and I will tell you from my own experience that filing the police report, because cops and police officers really don't like taking these reports, it took me 90 days for me to find the finally get my police report filed because they, everybody's saying, oh, we don't, we don't handle those, we don't handle those. But w your local sheriff's office will handle them, but they're not going to want to handle it, just so you're aware. Scott Merritt is with us today. The book is Identity Theft, Recovery is Possible. We're talking about the do's and don'ts, what you need to know if it happens, and also some, uh, share some insights on how to uh, reduce the possibility of uh, being a victim of identity theft. Though I would imagine in this day and age, Scott, the idea of totally inoculating yourself from this, uh, is that kind of a, a, a pipe dream? I mean, given all that Edward Snowden on unveiled and what NSA is doing, including eavesdropping on our conversation right now, is this notion of, of pure 100% of protection, is that just a pipe dream? Yeah, 
I would say it's a pipe dream. However, there are some steps you can take that uh, will minimize and greatly reduce your risk. And the number one thing I would say is, again, do not use your Visa debit card tied to your checking account. You want to use a national bank credit card. That doesn't mean that your local bank doesn't have a national bank credit card. A lot of times, the local smaller banks will partner with a national bank to offer a credit card that is national in nature. Um, and how you'll know it's a national bank credit card, you may not qualify for this limit, but you call your bank and you ask them, what is the largest limit this card will is able to be in size? And if they say it's 50000 or more, that's a national card. So the, you don't want them, the thieves, in other words, to have access to your debit card, which, you know, a lot of us go into Starbucks, boom, we present the card. It's like a 3 or $4 charge. I don't want to have to deal with that on a credit card and then, you know, write a check to pay it at the end of the month. So a lot of folks just say, hey, I'm going to take this and treat the thing like a, a substitute for cash. That's that's a real risk you're suggesting. And if they want to do that, there is a way you can do that. You, there are what's called reloadable Visa debit cards. You can go and put... X amount of dollars on that card and then use it and when it's used up just throw it away and go get you another one. There are a lot of retailers that offer them. A lot of your smaller community banks offer those reloadable cards. I know a, a lot of your retailers like Walmart, for example, I know offers that offers those. How so, bad did this get for you? I mean, you, you talked about them having access to both your, 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 your personal identity as well as your business credit worthiness. I know there was an extreme impact there at both levels, but it, it, did I read right in the book uh, that this got so bad that at one point you, in fact, had been, uh, they had put out a felony arrest warrant for you? And that actually happened twice. I was actually stopped at an international airport. I was also uh, stopped at, 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 I got pulled over um, on an expressway and had the same thing happen. I had to go to the police station and all of that. It, it, it was easy for me to prove that it wasn't me. Because I am securities licensed, my prints were on file. And obviously they didn't match the, the felony record print. So therefore it was, it was very easy for me to prove. At that point, I then had to get the FBI, Secret Service, and Department of Justice involved and my U.S. congressman. And, and, and they had to go in and scrub everything up and send me letters so that if it happened again, I had I didn't have to go through the, the whole ordeal all over again. This sounds like it becomes a full-time job just trying to piece your life back together again. It, it can, but again, if you uh, one of the things that I learned the hard way was if I would have had some of the things that I was talking about, having different variations of your name, not present, um, using the right kind of cards, not Visa debit cards, because I used to do the same thing everybody else does. Um, and some of those things would have greatly missed it. And the other thing is, is there's a, an extreme process to follow. And if you make one little mistake, you have to start the process over. Uh, and there is no roadmap to help you with that process. That's really why I wrote the book, is I give everybody the roadmap so that you know how, you, how to do it, when to do it, how to, how to prepare it, how to send it, so that you don't end up restarting the process over, over and over over and over. This is really a book that, you know, in, in some cases people go out and they buy a book because they've gone through this terrible experience and now they're trying to get some, some insights from somebody who's been down the road. And this is almost a book that, that ought to be bought ahead of time, isn't it? Uh, it is. And, and, and again, even if you haven't been an identity theft victim, if you read the book ahead of time, you can prevent it so that you're not a, a victim. And in the book, in one of the chapters, I even tell you how to structure your credit in such a fashion with little details of how your name appears, how your address appears. You can actually improve your credit score with those little techniques. Scott Merritt is with us tonight in this segment of the program. We're talking about identity theft. It impacts literally hundreds of thousands of Americans every year. Most recently, we've heard news of a breach.
breach of information that took place impacting 70 million credit cards at Target. Neiman Marcus, 40 million, 110 million credit cards out there floating around that are being sold on the black market um, amongst criminals. And you know what? Some of the names on those credit cards might be yours. So what do you do about it? We're going to talk more about this. We'll also find out from Scott how helpful were the credit reporting agencies. I mean, after all, they're they're kind of in the thick of all of this. How helpful were outfits like Equifax or TransUnion in helping them to unravel this disaster and get his financial life back on track again? We'll find out that and more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The book is called Identity Theft. Its author, who's been down this road, unfortunately, himself, Scott Merritt, sharing some insights on what to do if it happens to you, and most importantly, perhaps, a preventative steps in order to um, reduce the risk of becoming a victim of identity theft. Understand that trying to unravel this mess, Scott, is often like, well, it's been equated to like trying to get your name off the TSA no-fly list if, if in fact, you've been uh, in a, erroneously placed there. What kind of support, if all, did you receive from any of the, the big three credit reporting agencies were Asperian, TransUnion, Equifax, were they very helpful in, in trying to kind of unravel this spaghetti tangled that your your financial life became? Uh, in the beginning, I would say no. But what happened eventually, once I was able to get the police report filed and I got some of the dispute letters done um, by attorneys and uh, and different organizations that helped me along the way that I by trial and error, once I kind of began to build the initial file, I was then able to go to my U.S. congressman and he was able to exert some pressure on Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian and get them to assist me. And I would point out in particular what Equifax did is they actually assigned me a, a liaison that liaised between um, Equifax and my congressman, and they were able to get the stuff off. Though it would frequently reappear, they were able to get the bulk of it off in about six months. And let me stop you there, because I remember reading in the book, you you talked in one chapter about how you had to get a letter written, and, and an attorney wound up soaking you for $375. Yeah. Uh, people are saying, wait a minute now, if I've gone through this, I've had my accounts have been breached, I am now fighting with the bank trying to get monies restored to my accounts, I have to go out and spend money on an attorney to unravel this, and worst yet, I'm you, you had to deal with your congressman to get help? Yep, yep. And, and uh, it, it, it's a process, and that, that's why that's again that's why I wrote the book because there's no rhyme or reason. Everybody, everybody in the process charges a fee, with the exception of the congressman. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so they're all in it for them. They're not well, all the, in it for and, if, you, if you if you if you succeed in the process, they're happy. But that's really not why they're there. And at the end of the day, even the congressman charges a fee. I believe they collected every April 15th. Uh, Scott, so it sounds to me like this is a road that if you can at all avoid going down, you really want to avoid going down it. Spend the last few moments of our time together tonight. And again, I'm going to urge folks, this is really a book you need to get your hands on uh, so you can get better prepared because you don't want to have to go out and try to find the book after it's happened. You want to know what to do if it happens on how to quickly react and most importantly, some of the steps you can take to help reduce your risk going out the gate. And so this, these are kind of the homework assignment for all of us tonight is, number one, consistency in the way your name is written, the way you're literally down to the letter of the way your address is on, on bills. So if I have a credit card statement that comes in from Citibank and another one that comes in from Chase, I want to make sure that they're both billing me at street, spelled S R. 
spelled out as opposed to just abbreviated. Is that correct? Yeah, whatever way you, you have it appearing in one place, that's the way it needs to appear in all places. And the most common way to, to do it is how it appears on your driver's license is how you typically have it appear in every place else. Now, if if for whatever reason it's it's spelled out on all of your documents and your driver's license is wrong, there is a one-page form that you can get at DMV and submit that. And again, of course, the state's going to charge you five bucks, but they'll, they'll fix it for you. All right. Walk me through, if there was a top ten list you had to do of some of the things that everybody listening right now ought to do to be proactive to reduce their risk, and some you've already mentioned, kind of walk us through what that list might look like. Well, again, obviously making sure your name and your address is correct. Again, making sure you use the same phone number. Uh, Secondly, is uh, make a photocopy of every single thing in your wallet, front and back, and staple it in the order that it appears, because you'll need that for the police report. That way it's already done. If you're going to go and apply for credit and you have to use your Social Security card, photocopy it and then put your Social Security card back in your strong box or your safe. Do not carry it around in your wallet. Um, th- those, are, those are some of the obvious ones. But then, again, if you're going to make purchases out in the public, do not use the Visa debit card. Use a national credit card. And, when you, and, and I would recommend you put the majority of your bills on that credit card with the exception of your mortgage. And then what you do is periodically just go in and use your bill pay service at your local bank and to pay your credit card because then, then that transaction is actually insured. Um, so that way you're minimizing the way the only people who have access to your checking account is your credit card company. Yeah, you know, we've heard that mail theft, for example, here in the Bay Area in a number of communities um, in the last several months, mail theft has been on the rise, uh, both stuff that's coming in and things that are going out. You'll see, in fact, they got a neighbor, take a, um, a clothespin and will hang bills that he's paying uh, on the lip of the mailbox, expecting the mailman to come and, and pick those up and take them to the post office as he's delivering mail. Isn't that an easy way also to steal those checks and, and wash them and rewrite them? Well, not only that, but what you've basically done when the, when, when they do that, they now have your routing number, they have your checking account number, they have your name, they have your address, and how you sign your name. No. Oh. We're, we're literally giving away a lot of this, aren't we? I mean, people that use birthdays as um, uh, passwords. In fact, there's a list that comes out every once in a while of the top 10 most popular passwords, password being one of them. Uh, there are many degrees in which we're, we're kind of setting ourselves up for this, aren't we? You are. And, and that's why on my website at scottamerit.com, what I actually have is I have a free quiz that you can take. And it will actually tell you the different elements of your of your identity and your credit profile that are at risk that you need to deal with. And that, that will kind of tell you how much of a problem you're going to have or could have down the road. Because you're really playing Russian roulette. It's, a, it's not a matter of if it will happen. It's a matter of when it will happen. And obviously, as you can see, it's happening more and more often. And that's why you got to make sure you're protected. Um, the other thing that I would recommend everybody, if they if they if they don't want to put a lot of money on their credit card, they can go get one of those reloadable credit cards, put a couple hundred bucks on it, use that to make your purchases at the coffee shop and wherever. And then when it's done, you throw it away and go get you another one. Yeah, that's going to cost you a buck or two every time you got to do that, but it's cheaper than than dealing with what I had to deal with. What about these uh, so-called identity protection services that are out there? Do they have any value? They, they play. They definitely play a role, and, and there are different levels of those. There are ones where you can simply monitor your credit report, and, and again, I use one of them. And, and the reason why I do that is because I can 
get notified anytime someone uh, puts a, applies for an application in my name. It also lets me know if there are any variations of my name, address, because, again, you can get those with all three credit bureaus, and so you can see how it appears in each location and each creditor. Is scrutinization of your monthly banking statement and, and credit card statements also important? I know that in a case once years ago, somebody had lifted a, uh, a credit card number from me, and uh, what, what caught my attention was there were one or two charges on my following month's credit card statement for like a dollar six. And I thought, now, I complain about people at the grocery store who, who buy $5 worth of groceries and they pick up a, you know, a can of Coke and a package of potato chips and they whip out a credit card to pay with it as opposed to cash. And so when I saw this tiny little charge, I thought, well, that's odd. And, of course, by the following month, that little odd item it, it turned out to be you know, thousands of dollars in erroneous uh, fraudulent charges. Do we need to be careful about that, too? Yes, you do. You need to, and again, that's why if you use a national card, when you when you become aware of those, you can call your credit card company, notify them, and they will take the charge off, and they will simply send you a form. You sign it, send it back, and your role is done. That's the advantage of using a national credit card over using your Visa debit card. With the Visa debit card, you could your risk is unlimited. You could literally be on the hook for every single dime. Where with the credit card, the most you can be out is fifty dollars. Well, and the other thing too to point out is, you know, if there's fraudulent charges against your credit card, they've gotten a hold of your credit card. They haven't gotten a hold of your money. If they manage to go in and vacuum out all the cash out of your account, yep. uh, you're now at the mercy. You know, and then some states have laws that that work toward protecting you but you know if if the thousand dollar balance that was in there on tuesday has been dropped to zero and you're bouncing checks now all over town you're still at somebody's mercy to restore that cash to you the reality is that cash is gone and in some cases as you suggest the banks are uh, hesitant if at all to ever restore that money Right, and but again, if you use the credit card, you avoid all of that hassle because, for lack of a term, it's kind of almost like an insurance policy. Uh, and I hate to use that term loosely, but uh, the, the reality is, is there are fraud protections that were implemented during the credit crunch back a few years ago, and they really tightened up the protections for the credit card. Unfortunately, they left the loop open for the Visa debit cards tied to the checking accounts. And that's why in my book I, I spend a whole chapter on dealing with those very things. And again, if you go to scottamerit.com, uh, in my book, Identities Have Do's and Don'ts, I not only give you the the process, but I actually give you the letters to use so that all you got to do is, is literally retype those letters with your name, your address, a copy of your driver's license, Social Security card, and where to send it, how to send it, and then how to track it to find out when you need to send the next letter. And in Michigan and the other states under federal law, if they don't respond within 30 days, it has to be deleted without exception. Wow. So some really solid advice all the way around inside the pages of identity theft. And as Scott mentioned, you can get a copy of the book um, and also take that complimentary test at his website at Scott A. Merritt. Think of Merritt like uh, Lake Merritt. ScottAMerritt.com. And we are so appreciative of Scott and sharing, Scott, from your, your pain and bitter experience um, of, of what happened as you were a victim of identity theft to help the rest of us from hopefully never going down that road. Identity theft recovery is possible. Do's and don'ts, what you need to know, what you need to do. Details on the web at scottamerit.com. 
Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.